Welcome to Packet Pushes Heavy Networking. As we approach the end of the year, it's interesting to look back and think about just how much change that's gone on in the industry today. In fact, one of the biggest transitions we've seen in enterprise networking is in the data center. Obviously, there's a wide range of transitions that's happened in wireless, in SD-WAN, but in the data center, the evolution has still proceeded apace. We've seen the SDN technologies of the previous decade sort of really come into maturity and become almost the standard. We don't hear stories of anybody doing anything like they used to. They're definitely becoming standardized around some sort of software-defined infrastructure in the data center. And that's why today's sponsor is Juniper Networks. And we're talking to Mike Bichon from the Appstra team or the data center networking team there about what's actually happening with Juniper's strategy, how it's come through and I think we're probably going to cast around on a fairly wide-ranging discussion that sort of leans back on what's happened and then where we're going to go in the future, especially with the Juniper focus. Now, Mike, you've been on the show many times over the last, gosh, how long? Let's try not to think about that. <laughs> That's disturbing. Uh, welcome to the show once again. Where do you want to kick the discussion off? I think one place I wanted to sort of talk about is how far Juniper has come with the acquisition of Abstra and how the data center networking has transformed over the last 12 months. What is it, like you lead that team now, it's all your fault, right? So what it does is, it look like? It is like? my fault. <laughs> what, what do you think of the journey, the lesson you might want to pick out from 12, over this last 12 months? Um, look, I, mean, I think it's a market in transition. I mean, you, you said that at the outset, I think you're right. Um, if I look at the last 12 months, I mean, gosh, you know, the abstract acquisition for us was around the central thesis that operations was going to be more important than speeds and feeds. I mean, we've talked about this for, I mean, it feels like a decade at this point that mm. that it was no longer, you know, port speeds, but it's amazing how how uh, durable <laughs> speeds, feeds, and price have, have been for the last couple of decades. Yeah. Um, I think right now, though, what's happening is that it's the, the shift is actually like legitimately afoot. And if I look at the last uh, year, you know, it's, it's gone swimmingly well. I mean, I, I think the demand has been has been unusual. You know, when you put together these acquisitions, we put together a business case. Mm -hmm. uh, that business case is you know typically the most optimistic thing we can do. We've got to convince a company to to part ways with with uh, you know the the you know the dollars in the bank. And what's happened is that uh, you know frankly, I think we've we've exceeded expectations. There was more you know pent up demand yeah. than we anticipated. I think the the market received it a little bit better than we thought and. And now that the challenge is like, you know, how do we go and, and, and translate that into, into uh, you know, into on the ground execution? Um, you know, for me, I guess the, the big lesson learned is I mean, fundamentally, like how do you take something, you know, carry it out, you know, not not directly, but through the, the you know, the, the mouths of, yep. of hundreds or sometimes thousands of sellers. And how do you make sure you have a, a kind of a high fidelity message when it gets to the end? Well, we originally, I remember we were talking a few years ago, we were, uh, you know, both on the show and off the show, we used to talk a lot about white box and the emergence yep. of generic Gnosis. And what we've sort of seen is that, yes, white box has come along, but not for most enterprises or the, there are a few rare exceptions, but generally enterprises have stayed with what I call the branded solutions. They want to know that their hardware and their NOS is unified and or aggregated or bundled to some extent, and it's coming from a, a one throat to choke. And I, and I think that's one key transition is that the disaggregation process gave us something, but what it didn't give us is, you know, this brand of hardware with this brand of operating system with this brand of SDN controller. We're still seeing unified solutions. But I think the more interesting transition is um, over the last, 
say, three or four years, casting back even further, we were still talking about ports and speeds and latencies and, you know, the whether we could have copper and opti- how many optical ports you could have in a switch and, you know, that sort of stuff. And yet now today we don't talk about any of that. What we talk about is how easy it is to deploy a solution, how rapidly we can make changes to the solution and how I get integrated monitoring and telemetry. Now, from your point of view, because everything here is your fault, what do you think is the hardest part about what you've had to do to make that happen? Has it been a real transition to say software matters and hardware is important, but it's not the important thing? Yeah, I mean, so everything ends up boiling down to procurement processes. And so if you talk to customers, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, they're usually the trigger for purchase is some capacity expansion. I have a fixed number of of ports or I have some amount of, you know, some number of servers I have to connect and I've got to go and figure out how many switches do I have to purchase. Um, and what ends up happening is that the the all of the evaluation cycles, they're they're sort of steeped in in legacy. It's like you do it the way you've always done it. Um, mm-hmm. If you're the incumbent account, that actually benefits you, by the way. Yeah. Um, if you're a challenger, it's really hard, right? Because it means that the, the the criteria is essentially all the criteria we used last time, you know, plus one more thing. It's kind of this like derivative RFP process where everything gets bigger. There hasn't really been like a re-rationalization of what's important. Mm. Um, and so overcoming inertia is hard. And then, um, and because, and then when you think about like even budgets and stuff, you say, well, you know, where's the value at? What ends up happening is you say that there's a, a fixed cost for the ports. Um, and then you have to figure out, well, then, then where's the room for the value? I mean, we've essentially been complicit, all of us, in creating an industry mm. where the language is all about, you know, here's this, here, here's the price of capacity. And then all the software that's on top, we sort of, there's no cogs associated with that. So we, you know, what cost of goods sold, there's no, like, you know, there's no assembly charges, if you will. And so we, we tend to, to value it less. So you, I think what you're saying there is that convincing customers that paying for software is, is worthwhile is still a challenge today. You think they, they expect to get it for free that. Um, I, I don't know that they expect to get it for free. The question is really, where, where is it in the pecking order, right? Mm. If I have a budget and I say that there's these these items, you know, one, two, three, four, you know, the, the items at the top, it's like there's sort of the non-discretionary spend. If the reason I'm purchasing is that I need to have more ports, if I need more capacity, I need to, you know, I need to connect more things, then that's sort of, you know, that's, that's table stakes that has to be there. And so there's an acceptance of that, um, and then if I go in and layer anything that's on top of that, it's like that has to come, you know, the, the budget doesn't get any bigger or smaller. I have $100 to spend. Mm. If you tell me that, that $95 of that goes to the hardware, then I, by definition, I have $5 left to spend on software. Yes. And at that point, it's sort of a negotiation with the supplier. Like, can I, you know, are you willing to give me the, the, the software for $5? But the purchase is still coupled, right? You're, you're purchasing both at the same time. Um, anything we can do, if you really want to change that, you got to decouple the 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 purchasing of it. You have to, you know, treat these separately. And and right now, it, as long as there's a one-to-one mapping of the device or the vendor to the management solution, mm-hmm. then those are always going to be tightly coupled environments. You know, the, the thing that we did on the Appstra side that I think actually is, it's been instructive. And I think is, you know, I don't want to use the word transformative. That sounds too goofy, but but I, let's say it's initiating change. How about that? Um you know, this idea of doing multi-vendor management where you, you actually legitimately can decouple the two, that, that's actually, it's important, you know, from a management perspective, fine, we could talk yeah. about that. But it also decouples the purchasing a bit. And I think it's 
it's certainly changing the behavior of our sellers. But we're also seeing people use software to manage public clouds, and that is the ultimate decoupling. So I would like to, you know, do you see if customers start to use the on-prem data center orchestration, software-defined infrastructure tooling to start managing off-prem clouds or vice versa, much less likely in the reverse direction, right? Does that mean that the abstraction between hardware purchasing and operating the network gets further apart? Like I always, I think what we're saying here is that the abstraction between operating the network and deploying a network is different. And over the last five years, we've seen operation become way more important than purchasing. So I care much less about buying switches and racking them because in those days we used to do spanning tree, we used to deploy it, and then we, you know, almost like seal the boxes up and say, <laughs> "See you in ten years." <laughs> do you know what I, sort of that that process? And now it's like I'm expecting to make changes in these boxes every day, all day, time after time, and I need to be able to do them reliably and at speed. Does that abstraction process change if we start to map off cloud, off premise networks as well as on prem? Um, I, I think the answer is yes, but I think the, the question is how do we handle multi-domain management? So you're going through two different evolutions at the same time, right? One is even within one domain, whether that's on-prem, in the cloud, whatever. It's like, what is my administrative domain? How do I manage the different devices? What are the workflows that I use? And even there within that, even within like a single domain, I think you're seeing a shift from, you know, day zero, you know, day zero, day one, sort of design and deploy. And then in, in day two is starting to pick up. So I think... You're, there's a shift there just by itself. Yeah. Um, I think separately, then if you start looking at, you know, can you extend that shift, extend that like that shift over like multi-domain, you know, between, you know, on-prem and, and in the cloud or between on-the-prem and in two clouds or two on-prem, you know, whatever, mm, right? Yeah. Um, then, I, so I do think that's going to happen. I just think that one's going to take longer. Um, I don't think we've solved the end-to-end visibility problem generally as an industry. Um, and so if you look at like, you know, what's, what's, what's happening now is that in the absence of, of one ended, um, you know, one ring to rule them all, so to speak, what you're seeing is a kind of a proliferation of individual tools. I think typically that expansion, that, that'll, that'll start to consolidate mm-hmm. at some point. Um, and I think it'll start with, with multi-domain visibility. Yeah, but Juniper does have the NetRounds software-defined perimeter tooling. And that well, starts to give you visibility right. in that direction. It's still early in the acquisition cycle and you know, turning that into something useful does take time. Um, but I, I think that eventually the challenge here is that the cloud networks are so proprietary and so odd that I think it's very difficult for vendors to reasonably say, yeah, we can we can unify the operation of them because the off-prem cloud networks are just so weird, right? Non-standard, yeah. ugly, incompatible, you know, whatever. Well, you, and you mentioned the net rounds thing. I mean, we've 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 made what like I think four significant acquisitions over the last couple of years. Obviously, the missed stuff, which you know a lot of people look at that as a wireless acquisition. I'm maybe I'm a little bit um, different. I think it was an AI acquisition that happened to deliver it via via like a, a wireless portfolio. Mm. Um, obviously, we have the Appster stuff, which we've talked about. We have the net rounds bit. Um, we have the 128T piece, which gives you routed elements, like you know, essentially virtual virtual endpoints. You start to you know squint your eyes a little bit and look mm-hmm. at all of those. Like it's, I just there's a lot we can do there, right? Yeah. You know, I want to be yeah. careful not to have like a this isn't meant to be like a roadmap discussion, but if I have a, a virtual routed endpoint, if I have you know an intent engine, if I have you know what amounts to an AI engine, if I've got some of the visibility bits, you know, it's not that hard to imagine some of these pieces coming together. 
And then you say, mm-hmm. you know, what are the use cases that, that are particularly interesting? You know, you just, you mentioned sort of this, this data center to cloud connectivity piece. I mean, that's a, that's a heating up space, right? You look at someone like Aviatrix, you know, raising what that was 200 million on a, a 2 billion valuation. Yeah. I mean, and that's a head, that's a head of, you know, less than a hundred million a year in, in, in revenue. Mm. Um, you know, the, what they're betting on is that there's an emergence of a problem space, which is exactly what you outlined. Yeah. Like how do I connect all this stuff up in, a, in an abstracted way? So I'm not working device by device, cloud by cloud, you know, everything is bespoke and, mm. and, there's, you know, so if, if that's a problem space that, that's, that's worth going after, then all of a sudden we've got the assets to go do it. I, I, you know, I don't. I don't, I'm not, I mean, it's definitely, I think you do. I think the acquisitions that Juniper has made, and I think I've said this many times on the show, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on the, you know, this is a sponsored <laughs> show with Juniper, but yes, the, the missed acquisition, they were working on Wi-Fi. In fact, I think even on the day that they were acquired, they were making it very clear that they were an AI company that just happened to start with wireless. And the neat thing about wireless is it was a very contained problem space. And and I think I actually speculated, if my memory is right, that the next one would be data center because it's also a contained problem space. It's inside a building, like a Wi-Fi is inside a campus. Everything about it is controlled. The hardware, you know, everything about it can, within reasonable limits, be known. A data center network is a little bit more complicated, but the hardware becomes a known and applying some sort of AI to it isn't, you know, collecting the data and attracting a signal out of that noise is not an infinitely complex problem. I'm, I think it'll, I speculate that we would see Juniper doing mist in the data center before we see mist in the, in the WAN for that reason, at least. Um, one of the things that I want to touch on with AI ops in the data center, because we've raised that issue, is that... Is that doable in the near future or is that a longer term thing? Um, a little bit of this gets into semantics. I mean, mm-hmm. the whole idea of AI is, I mean, frankly, it's a, it's a how and the fact that we've elevated it to a what I think is a little bit, a little bit challenging. I mean, ideally you'd look at outcomes and say that, you know, I'm going to automate some outcome. And if that's important to you, then the, the mechanism we use to automate it ought to be transparent to the user. We've got um, to reduce everything to a TLA or an ETLA in networking. You know that, right? Yeah. So do I, but do I think it's achievable? I actually do. I just think it's going to take a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at things like in a large data center, what's, you know, things like, um, you know, optics failures are kind of an easy example where, you know, any kind of scale, you know, even if everything is, you know, six nines or whatever, right. It's like, you're still going to have, you know, things are going to go down across that many number of ports. The question is, you know, how do you, how do you react to that? You know, does it is it a hard failover, or do you start to see you know degradation performance, packet loss, whatever? Um, and then once you see that, can you throttle it back and then take yeah. some action? I think all of that's achievable. I just think that the way you orient it has to be very different. And and here, um, like, look, if if I want to if I want to build out an operational infrastructure that's focused on you know taking automated action, right? It's less about building out a workflow engine, which presumes I have a set of inputs, you know, here's my input, let me mm-hmm. translate that into a bunch of outputs. And, and, and that's really focused on like provisioning, right? We've been focused on effectively VLAN and ACL provisioning as a, you know, again, as an industry for like 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, once you, once you move beyond that, then the, the question is, well, where's the information that you're going to get? How is it stored? How do you collect it? How do you normalize it? Does that include, you know, single vendor, is that multi-vendor? How do you handle brownfield environments? Like you have to solve all of those problems. The, the reason I mention all of that is that the products t- that play a role in that future that you're thinking about 
those products look different because they start with a different why. The, the why that, that underpins the product is not how do I provision a box or a fabric or whatever. The why that underpins it is like, how do I essentially collect a bunch of infrastructure to handle day two operations? And if you have a different why, you end up with a different what. So do I think it's solvable? I do, but I just think it, it, it takes a dramatically different approach. And going back to the way you opened it, I mean, like, look, we're, in a, we're an industry in transition, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the transition is not, in my opinion anyway, is not merely a product transition. I mean, we're fundamentally, fundamentally grap, grappling with what's the purpose of all the infrastructure. Like, what's the, what's the, the central thing we should, we should solve for? And I believe, fundamentally, I believe that for the first time in probably in the data center space, for the first time in more than you know, 10, 12 years, we finally have a disagreement across the vendors mm-hmm. where we're not all trying to build the same thing. And that, yeah. that, that's interesting. I agree with that. There's actually a fairly structural divergence between approaches. There are some vendors still pushing the Python Ansible path and everybody yep. should be handcrafting their artisanal software defined. Uh, and that might be a convenience because, you know, that's a useful progression from where customers are to, 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 to where the future comes. And I think the next question I'm going to ask is going to be about intent and where we sit with intent in 2022. But um, I think there's also other customers who look at saying, well, if I just create a management platform that does operational things better, click a button and a VLAN is configured or configure a button, and that does, that simplifies some of the work, but it doesn't transition us away to um, this intent, you know, this is what I want, this is what, and it should just do that for me. I shouldn't have to you know, handcraft every single piece of CLI configuration before I, you know, building configure being building CLI configurations using an automated tool set doesn't really move the needle, I think is what you're saying. That's, that's precisely what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. you look at the, and I'll, and I'll speak specifically just to make it clear. I think most of the, um, it's probably safe to say every vendor is solving some problem that's, that's real, right? We, I don't think we need to, like, I think everyone's going after in general, it's a pretty smart industry. And and I don't look at my like the, my competitors, for instance, and think that they're, you know, somehow incapable. I just think they have different agendas based on you know who they are, where they are, how they see the world. Um, Cisco very clearly, you know, with the ACI space, you know, they were looking at you know single pane of glass, trying to solve the the application oriented policy and control. You looked at integrations with load balancers and IPAM and, and and whatever. The idea was, you know, fundamentally, let's give you a single place to go to manage the whole the whole thing. Uh, that's a useful problem to solve. And if if the number of tools you're using is the primary problem you have, then I think you, you go that direction. Mm. Um, I think Arista is solving, you know, they have the whole you know, cloud vision, which they've positioned as network automation as a service. Um, I think, you know, going after speed and agility, I think that's a useful problem to solve. I mean, mm. I, frankly, I've been pushing um, automation you know, probably since 2007, 2008. Uh, I, I think it's a useful problem to solve. Uh, what we're doing on the abstract side is different. We're not trying to solve the pure speed problem. Um, you know, we we think we're you know, reliability is the problem, and that there's certain you know outcomes that you get if you can solve for reliability. Um, and I'm happy to litigate that in more detail later. But but the, the net of this is that like here you've got three major vendors, three I mean foundationally different approaches, and so it's not surprising that we're building different things. To me, that's actually exciting, mm. right? I mean, when we're all building EVPN fabrics, you know, sort of all roads lead to Rome. It doesn't really matter which path you take. You can pick wherever you want. Mm. Um, but when we're all going different places, like now, look, now we have a decision to make. And I would argue, 
that you know the, the share shift we've already seen over the last let's say two three years in the data center space i'm gonna i would argue that's going to accelerate and that you're going to see because because there's it's more up for grabs than it's ever been before let's talk about that for a minute because you raised the idea of a share shift what you're indicating there is that um, in the past, Cisco's had a very dominant market share, and then there's been a number of smaller players sort of picking up in, and off, often with niche uh, positions in the marketplace. And over the last, I don't know, five years, say, we've seen Cisco's um, market share slide progressively, slowly, you know, and it's not so much that Cisco's shrinking. It's, it, to my mind, it's more that the competitors have gained ground and they've convinced more customers to buy their solution. So Cisco remains about the same size as it was about five years ago, but most of the most of the growth in the market has gone to competitors. If we say that's true, what do you think's driving that? Is it this diversity of approach that you talk about, or is it quality? Is it meaning customers where they actually are instead of forcing them to some other? Is there is there an issue we can take up there? Um, I- it's probably a little bit of everything, right? I mean, in general, there's there's never one driver, but I think at a macro level, I I just think there's a change in in, I guess, what's the point of emphasis in data center? So if we started off by saying that you know there's a push towards operations, kind of a departure from um, kind of the, the port speeds, right? There's a natural follow-on from that, though, right? If 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 operations and abstraction start to take root, if this whole SDN thing was all about getting control, you know, getting your hands. Um, off of, you know, uh, I guess, you know, managing the yoke of an airplane, right? If it was kind of moving out and saying, let's let's elevate above the the, the configuration and the syntax and whatever, um, what that does is that moves people away from the CLI. Mm-hmm. And as you move people from the CLI, the the single biggest advantage that Cisco had was the, the Cisco certified, you know, the CCIE, you know, population was out there. Now, it's not that that population is any less relevant, by the way. I mean, the mm. amount of effort it takes to go in and get a certification. I mean, you're not just being tested on syntax. You're being tested on architectural principles. It turns out that the architectural bits are all important. But whether you have you know, the rote memorization of this command or that command, maybe that's less important. Mm. As you pull people away from that, what that does is it, it, it kind of loosens the grip of that of the CLI. It loosens the grip of the the muscle memory, and what that does is creates opportunity for other people to come in and sell. Hmm. You know, they've shed you know something like I don't know seven eight percent market share over the last you know three years or so, right? Yeah. Um, I think what's going to happen is that you're going to see you know new approaches come in. It's a it's a modernization of operations, you know, frankly, and and if nothing else, the cloud companies have taught us that you know what's possible if you operate. In a, in a different fundamental model. I think that's what's going to happen. I think you're going to continue to see it. Um, I think the playing ground or the, 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 the battlefields get you know, somewhat leveled. In your experience, you, you lead a sales team. You create the product for, the hire, for, for Juniper's data center strategy. And we've just touched on the fact that there are things that driving customers to look at new solutions. Is there one or two of those that stand out in your mind? So when you're talking directly to customers, um, with salespeople or not with salespeople, you know, what is the one thing that you, what are one or two things that you're hearing from them that are attractive um, to them about Juniper and the Appstra and the data center portfolio? Uh, I mean, right now, multi-vendor is is big. Um, the whole supply chain thing, it's like if lead times are extended, what they're looking at is, you know, can I essentially go to vendor A, go to vendor B? Um, the challenge is that if your operations are going to be uniform, mm-hmm. um, if, if your operations are like, if they're not abstracted at all, if it's a one-for-one mapping, like I've got, I'm using, you know, the, the tool that, that's paired very tightly with my underlying hardware, 
then even if you wanted to, to change it out, you can't because you've got an operational challenge. The multi-vendor bit is is big. And everyone asks me the question, and I'll just raise it for you because you're mm. you tend to be pretty nice, but let me just kind of ask the question everyone should be asking. Mm. Can we trust a vendor to deliver multi-vendor management? Right. Mm. Because you know, aren't you just going to make it work better together with Juniper stuff? Aren't you gonna put a little bit less you know, emphasis on the other vendors? Um, you know, we saw what happened with TailF. You know, is that gonna happen with with Abstra is, mm -hmm. is effectively the question. Let me just tackle it head on. Mm. Um, I don't think people are committed to things like open or multi-vendor because they're somehow altruistic, that mm. they have, they're benevolent and they just want to do it because it's good for the industry. I think what companies do, frankly, and let's be honest, right? We, they, they do things that make sense for them commercially. And you want to make sure that your essentially our goals are aligned. If you're an incumbent, if you have a like 45% share, whatever the number is, Multi-vendor represents a threat because it means that somebody can come into your space and they can insert. So of course you're not going to support multi-vendor. If I worked at Cisco, I I wouldn't either. Mm. Like why would I do that? Yeah. If you're if you're the dominant player, you, but if you're a company that wants to do something different, right? If you want to embrace yeah. the brownfield, I think one of the biggest things that we're seeing today is that customers want to embrace the brownfield, and hence the perpetuation of what I call finger-defined networking. It's still CLI, but we're just using Python or Ansible to create the CLI for us, right? And the transition to software-defined networking will never be handled by um, artisanal Python and Ansible or Salt Stack or Terraform configurations. You need to get further up the stack is my generalized belief is that that is the evolution that you'll get to. But the challenge there is that if I'm general, and I think customers are using that to brownfield, even if they are a single brand, right? They're still brownfielding with legacy infrastructure and with the new. Um, and that's the challenge is you can be multi-vendor, but you still have to have the same era of hardware, don't you? Yeah, I think that's true. And, and I think the, the question is going to be of your entire operational domain, like what are the pieces that remain mm -hmm. you know, finger defined versus what are the things that you abstract? Um, you know, I think it makes a lot of sense, you know, in a, in greenfield environments, we always start with provisioning. Like if you look mm -hmm. at everyone's offering, it's like, how do I provision it? Um, I think when you get into the day two bits, it's going to be, you know, it, it changes, you know, what, what information can I, can I collect? What insights can I glean? What workflows can I execute? I think that's decidedly more interesting. Mm -hmm. um, that's where you spend most of your time of deployment anyway. So yeah. that's, that's, you know, it's, it's naturally more important. I can remember it's only a few years ago, we would be talking to the Abstra folks about um, zero touch deployment. Do you remember that? It was right in the early days. Yeah. And that was the thing that the big thing, the big feature for a lot of customers was zero touch. You literally just, and now we don't talk about that at all. That's how quickly this part has moved. How, like in just the space of, I don't know, three or four years, we've gone from uh, zero touch deployment to uh, zero touch operation. In a, that's, a, that's a gross jump in logic, but in conceptually, that's the direction, <laughs> right? <laughs> Well, you're going to see the rise of day two, right? I mean, day two operations is where most of the action is going to be. Mm. You know, on the Abstra side, the, one of the things that I think is interesting, right? Um, and uh, like, I don't want to turn this too much into like, you know, here's my my Abstra commercial. But, mm. but what Abstra has done is is not merely, you know, saying, hey, let me just translate, you know, some inputs into some outputs. There's this whole idea of intent and and kind of what happens with that. So the the notion by itself for people who aren't familiar, right? Intent just says that, allow me to, to declare, you know, top down rather than sort of collect bottom up and say, here's what I want the network to do. How many NICs are there? What speeds? What, what you know, what are the protocols? You know, whatever. Um, 
the second piece of that though is that we create an intent model. We create a model of of what the the, the network and device state would be with the network as as declared. And then we can compare that to the production environment, which is what's the collection of information, you know, network and device state as the network actually is. Mm. And then we can look at those two things. Your whole day two operations is going to be all around that. We know what we intended it to do. That's the 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 day two problem is not like a a, a provisioning problem. Mm. It's like okay, now that it's running, how do I know it's running as I intended it to? Um, and then what actions do I potentially take? This idea of modeling, like that's not a Again, it it starts with a different why. It's not yeah. it's not like we 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 built like a provisioning tool and then you add this to the end. It's like you have to build provisioning with the model in mind. And this is why again, I think we're getting a split in the market. I I I don't think everyone's doing the same thing. No, I know. And interesting, the vendors who don't have a modeling based intent solution are the ones that are struggling. To my mind, if you don't have the abstracted model of the network that you can manipulate, um without actually doing things in the network. Like most of what I call finger-defined networking comes down to that no model. So if I make a change, it actually gets done on the live production network, which is fine um, because at the end of the day, everything goes into production. But there is a place where if I'm going to make a change, maybe if I had a model, I can validate the configuration or do some, you know, de-risk, defang, you know, sanity check some part of this. So I do sort of feel that that's the thing. Is is intent based networking still what customers are talking about today, or are they really just saying I want operations, I want the illities? Uh, I think most people want the they want operations and the illities. Mm. We teach them in any given technology wave how to ask for that, mm. and so whether that's AI or whether that's intent, you know, we have to we we sort of teach them that that's the thing they ask for. But the thing that underpins that is like mm. give me the ability to to to, to do whatever I got to do. But that that even that implies, um, you know. Again, I'll go back to your early question. You know, what would what are some of the things you've learned? Um, you know, getting people to elevate what they're asking for, so that they're looking for like a capability and not necessarily like a how. Like that, that's actually really hard um, because there's so much you know muscle memory and inertia. Um, and I'll, I'll give you start like start selling a, switches like, easy... like cars, though. You know, like the freedom of the road, the magic of going where you want to go. <laughs> Doing it in style and comfort today with our, you know, why aren't we? Is is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, I don't. Maybe the IT equivalent, um, <laughs> but I don't think I don't think you have to get ephemeral and and, and move too you know too far, far off away that, from the core purpose. Yeah, yeah, but although that'd be good for the marketing organizations, you could see like the the ad the the ad agencies would be thrilled if we could go that way. That would be but airport like, marketing um, campaign there, you know, like. Never, never mind the density, feel the color. <laughs> Your network will smell better than everyone else's. Well, that's exactly um, right. How about- no, but, but like, so like, like go, your, your, your question about like on the illities, right? So if I wanted to roll out um, mm. a, let's say a policy change on an edge port, right now we look at it and say, you know, is the policy well constructed? And that's about the, that's like the checking we do. Right. And this is why I mean, you've, you've long railed on ITIL shops, right? Mm-hmm. The ITIL shops ex- exist because there's two things you have to think about. What's the task to be done, right? How do I go and make the, the, the change? And then there's like, what's the decision to be made, which is, is the change the right one? And the tooling is disproportionately focused on the first one. Mm-hmm. Like, how do I translate the inputs to the outputs? And yeah. no one's really answering the question, is this the right thing to go do? Yeah, no um, one can answer the gap but, analysis. That's the fallacy of ITIL is that you can determine the gap and quantify the gap so that you can address it. 
And the challenge, especially in what we have now with infrastructure, is defining the gap between where you are and where you want to be. That's, <laughs> that you know, that, that was once very simple. I have 50 ports. I need 150 ports in five years. Today I have 100 gig. Now I know they need to be one gig, but I want them to be 10 gig. Really easy to define that gap. But now it's like, I want illities, I want intent, I want modeling. There's no defining the and solving that gap is 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 where ITIL always failed because you couldn't translate the gap into a meaningful project, as far as I was concerned. Anyway, well, and, and imagine if you if you reconstructed some of those change meetings, the change review meetings, so that it was less of being instead of being focused on you know what's the job to be done. If you started asking the questions like what's the blast radius of this change. Hmm. So for instance, if I am making policy changes on a set of known ports, I know it's connected to the ports. I know what hosts are on those servers. I know what apps are hosted on the, on, on the OSs. Um, you actually could build out a dependency map that says like, based on the proposed change, here's what yep. the blast radius is. Like that's- And that's, and Appster does that today. Uh, we're, we, we've got the graph queries that have all the information. I want to be really clear. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't, I want to oversell stuff, right? But um, but yeah, we, we can do multi-dimensional queries and dependency mapping. So you could look at, you know, based on what's in vCenter, you yeah. can say, you know, what's deployed and then based on what you're proposing, you know, mm -hmm. what's the, we, we can't always tell you it's going to, it's going to break in this way, but we can at least tell you, look, here's the dependency. I know the ITIL project would have told me that we're not allowed to talk about failure and therefore any discussion of blast radius wouldn't be permitted. But, you know, <laughs> I get the hint, I mean, I get the point, I mean, Arguing with ITIL project managers is a bit like arguing with a pig in mud. After a while, you realize the pig likes being in mud and likes arguing, and uh, you never really get anywhere. But I, I want to come back to the multi-vendor thing because that's actually a unique thing in the supply chain constraint. It's my personal belief that the supply chain is still going to be still a year, and I suspect much longer. Everybody's saying it's not, but I think that's all of the companies saying it's not going to be a problem in the hope that customers stop bulk ordering, bulk forward ordering. Everything would be a lot better if customers just, now that's a gross generalization of a very complex topic. There's a whole bunch of stuff around freight and, but I think that stuff can all be solved. But I think one of the biggest challenges we've now got is customers are racing out to pre-order product to that they kind of need, but they kind of don't need for a while yet. And that's going to cause, I believe that that multi-vendor feature of abstract could be, something that really is interesting to customers because if I can't get this brand of switch, I can get our brand of switch and work with it until I can. And that's something that apps did, right? Like Appster was, has always been multi-vendor right from the start. Yeah. Um, and, and just to be super clear, I want to be, I want to be pedantic on this. Um, the, we we simply have to continue to be multi-vendor. Like that's an existential. We we don't solve the the problem space that we're trying to solve. If we if we were to go and ruin that, that would be one of those cases where you you buy something. Mm. You know, step one, buy. Step two, do everything you can to ruin it. Step three, you know, mm. write it off. <laughs> um, <laughs> Every time I call the tech, it's like you can't. No, sorry, you haven't got our switches. I can't help you. Like you can't do that, right? Yeah, so we're, we're, we've got, we have this, like a strict, I mean, and I look, I, I'm the one that owns the strategy in the business, but I can tell you right now, like we have a, a strict commitment. Um, look, it's, it's been, it's been eye-opening for me. I mean, I'll be honest, I, I thought multi-vendor was important. I didn't understand exactly how important until you started, you know, watching it play out in the field. We have a large financial services organization that is settled on, in this case, you know, Cisco and Arista switches, like that's what they're going to go do. And they have a they have a hard mandate operationally that they want to have multi-vendor control. And so 
you know, we're wow. in there because we're the only one that can manage both. That's interesting to me. Right? Yeah. That's like, because if I can, if I can do a, a superior job of driving the, if I can really drive operational value, then I have permission at some point in the future to go, you know what? Hey, can I just, you're building this one pot out. Let's just do that. Yeah. Right. So I have, I have permission to play. Um, we have engagements. Uh, EPFL is like a European, you know, uh, 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 educational institute. They're buying Dell Sonic switches mm. and they're buying Abstra over the top um, because we're the only essentially management game in town on that, on the Sonic side. Um, and so that's like, I mean, that's just super interesting. I and mean, these are things that like you mm. never would have imagined that Juniper would have been relevant in a software management story if there weren't like underlying switches running Juniper, you know. Well, you wouldn't have been involved Junos. with the customer at all. You would either lost the opportunity yeah. completely because it they had a mandate to have this. And often those are legacy purchasing mandates or strategy mandates that, and if you want to bring an intent-based you know, type modeling solution to your network. And if that's the deal, I've got a supply contract with Dell and, you know, and or whoever. And, but you, st you don't want, and this is my argument about the brownfield versus the greenfield. The greenfield makes sense for some customers, but increasingly I'm of the view that most people are using Python and Ansible because they have a brownfield and you can't take it out. You can't throw it away. You can't, you know, and that's, and that's one of the things that interests me about Appster is that multi-vendor. Now, there are limits, of course, to Appster's multi-vendor. There is a strict list of what can be supported and not, right? Well, and even that, I mean, I, like, uh, this is one of the internal debates. And again, I mean, I'm going back to lessons learned. I mean, I think um, uh, Appster is fundamentally built around this idea of blueprints, the idea that there are designs that we want to adhere to. And if you deviate, you know, and we have uh, ways to allow customization at the edges. But if you go like, you know, full, have it your way, you do everything you want, then you lose a lot of the modeling. And at that point, you know, the question is, have you chosen the right tool? Mm. Um, early on, we looked at that and we, had to, we tried to convince people this wasn't a big deal. And I've, I've, again, knowing what I know now, it's like, we need to lead with that. Mm. You know, what did the cloud companies do? The cloud, they, they stamped out um, divergence. They said, look, what we're going to do is we're going to stop designing the infrastructure around the bespoke needs of individual applications. So what we're going to do is design the applications around the infrastructure and operational requirements so we can you know, yeah. do this efficiently. I think that's the model. I mean, like, I think that's a very real, real model going forward. You can't be reliable. You can't be repeatable if everything is like a snowflake and it's going to be unique. Hmm. Um, and that the story I use, right? So when we were in pursuit as, as a, as a, you know, like a species of going faster and faster, right? Hmm. We fundamentally believed through like the forties and fifties that we just needed a bigger engine, hmm. right? I mean, you, you, there were, you, you can, we've all seen videos where you essentially have a rocket and you attach it to some wheels and then you put it in the desert and you like, you go, you go super fast, right? Yeah. Um, well, it turns out that the key to speed wasn't necessarily building a big giant engine, right? The, it's because people would die. <laughs> it wasn't until you added seatbelts and anti-lock brakes and the crumple hood on the, on the cars. It wasn't until you had the safety features that you could get functional speed, speed that was useful for the, the you know, kind of everybody, right? Mm. The network is not that different. We've had programmatic interfaces for what, you know, 15 years, right? Longer. Mm. Right. I mean, Juniper was doing, you know, opening up APIs, you know, back in 2001, 2002. This is not new. Right. Maybe the problem to solve isn't like, what's the bigger engine? Maybe what you have to do is you've got to have the, the, the equivalent of seatbelts, which is, you know, what's the blueprint? What's the design? You know, put a little bit of rigidity in the system. 
Because the result of that is that you get repeatable operations. And by the way, once it's repeatable, if you know it's going to work every single time, then magically you can move faster and it turns out it's less, it's, it's a more efficient, it takes fewer people, fewer steps yeah. to go do it. So you still get the same byproduct, but you, but you get there essentially by embracing a little bit of structure. That's like a, you know, again, we and Arista and Cisco have very different views on this. That's not for everybody, by the way. Some people no. need to have everything bespoke. That's fine. But the, again, we're building different things for different reasons. I think, I think the bespokeness is going away. We're often seeing apps lose, you know, the, a lot of the applications that we have now, you know, there's less of this layer two data center extension, for example, that we used to have because apps are now embracing layer three replication or storage arrays will do replication over L3 uh, instead of just L2. So some of the drive for the uniqueness or specialty. Um, and what we're also seeing um, is the focus on operations. We talked before about day one, day two, day yeah, operation stuff. What we're finding is that in the old days, we used to do these bespoke configurations or these bespoke activities, but we do them once and never have to touch them again for 10 years or 15 years. Whereas now, if we're operating the network and changing it regularly and often, and we're moving into code upgrades on a quarterly basis instead of a yearly, five-yearly basis, you know, whatever the number might be, um, the idea that those bespoke solutions can survive is aging out. Because if you've got to face up to a code update every quarter and you're thinking, going, oh, that hack I put in, you know, you've got a list of 20 hacks that you put in place and you're going like, now I have to test each one of these and that sort of stuff. And one of the other things I wanted to talk about, um, one of the things that I've got a bit of a bugbear about is a thing called substantiation. And one of the hardest things that I find when consulting with CIOs or working with senior executives is providing supporting data for upgrades. And the hardest part is proving the requirement. And we sort of touched on this with the gap analysis and the ITIL stuff early. But I also want to be able to prove the results of an upgrade or a change. Do you think that's something that I can do with the tools that you've got today? Um, and when you say prove the prove the result, you mean yep. the like de demonstrate that it's it's working the way as intended? And, as intended. And, or do you mean like there's a wide range of here, right? It could be for some people, it could be I promise to make drop less frames, right? Or I promise to yeah, get 99%, you know, good put or something, right? And one of the things that we've never done in networking is we've kind of gone, you know, if I just did all of this stuff, it would just work better or uh, honest gov, right? And one of the things that we still don't seem to have addressed is this idea of substantiation, substantiation that here's my network, it's got my intent-based modeling solution. Where's my data to support an upgrade to say, if I went and bought another switch, my data flows are getting faster. I'm getting more good put. I'm getting less packet loss. Where's the data that says, you know, I went and bought a whole new pack of, you know, I bought third-party OEM optics because that made sense to me. But all of a sudden you're throwing up data to say, maybe you shouldn't buy the third-party one because the failure rate is 5%, right? Is there scope for substantiation? Is that something that you're doing or moving towards? Um, I think in, the, in, the, in a general sense, yes. Um, let me explain a little bit kind of what we're trying to do, and then you'll see where it's hand wavy and where it's mm -hmm. a bit more concrete. Um, underpinning Abstra is, is essentially a set of graph databases where we, and, and we have what we call IBA, these intent-based analytic probes, which go and essentially, you know, uh, act as sensors so we can get a bunch of, you know, rich telemetry data. That data, whether it's you know device network state, you know other things that live in, in peripheral devices and, and and systems, you know that's what gives us kind of a rich set of what's going on in and around the infrastructure. 
Once you have that, then you arrive at a baseline. And of course that baseline will change over time. So we have the ability to ingest, you know, like kind of real time events and that, and, and analytics to, to adjust what the baseline looks like. Um, and so once you have that, then you can start running, you know, multi-dimensional queries. So let me make it really simple to just, mm. just to make it kind of concrete, you know, show me all the optics in a particular, you know, in the infrastructure that have, you know, some value above or below some threshold that have, you know, that have, have, had some you know some event in the last five minutes right so you can run these fairly robust queries which actually gets to what you're talking about so yeah. in your example it's like you know I, I bought these third-party optics and they're failing did i get what i wanted out of it what we could do is say you know show me the, the essentially the optic stats over you know, the entire infrastructure over the last 24 hours yeah. let's look at the failure this rates is a custom those. query in the abstract space where i can query the graph database yeah. um that's separate from the model. That's a feature we talked about a lot, right? Yeah, and then having that ability to to, to run the multi-dimensional queries, then you can start taking action that, that that sits around that. The part that's a little hand wavy is, you know, would you take some automated remediation step based on that? You know, I'm um, uh, when I get into automated remediation, I start thinking like Terminator and. And so I was, you know, I don't know that you go to to like fully everything happens on its own without any human intervention, but what you could, and maybe we will at some point, right? But not not in the next two years, but getting into like, what's the likely root cause? What's the, you know, essentially a recommendation engine so that mm. some human can take action on the back end. To me, that seems more achievable. And if I look at where customers are, it's like, you know, we're, most customers are still woefully behind I wouldn't say behind, I guess, because the whole industry is there, but let's say they're behind their ambitions mm. on automation. And the idea that if they're behind their, their, their ambitions on automation, the idea that we're going to catch them up and then move them to, to like, you know, zero touch everything like that feels like a, maybe a, a bridge yeah. too far. But I think the path there is pretty well established. This comes back to the uh, automated ops where MIST okay. was able to start in Wi-Fi, And as I said, it that is a much tighter uh, low stakes environment in which you can make changes, you know, and and it was fairly defined and, you know, but doing that in the data center when you can potentially take your line of business app out for, you know, in a, in a pile of resume generating flames, it's a much harder ask. And, it's, and I think that's going to be a lot, a lot slower. But at the same time, we are see people embracing things like intent, model-based networking, the idea of a graph database where you can structure your own queries, and I think the one thing that we haven't been able to talk here about, and that I think is an emerging thing, is the idea that you would run your Python Ansible, your custom scripts, your Terraforms, on top of that tool and make that tool work for you. So instead of you, you know, inventing a framework that does EVPN, you're just saying, that's all solved for me. Why don't I go and do the valuable business stuff on top of that? Um, which leads me to my question of horizontal SD software defined, and that is where Appstra snaps into other tools, or whether I can start to use it as its own tool chain or its own framework. Is that something you see customers using much? Uh, so yes, I mean the obvious things you, know, you, you mentioned, um, and we've talked a lot about you know troubleshooting sort of implicitly. Um, you know, uh, tying into ServiceNow as an example, or into PagerDuty. Um, makes total sense, you know, chat ops types integration type integrations where you're, you know, essentially pushing information and allowing exchange of information via some Slack channel. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you're looking at other tools that are that, that also pull like rich sets of data. Um, 
you know, uh, companies like Forward Networks, as an example, like yeah. to me, that, that makes sense to, because then now you're, you're expanding the information you have access to, which means that the, your your dependencies, um, your, your dependency map becomes much richer and the decisions yeah. you can make are like, that's to me, that's that's very interesting. Um, mm. You know, even plugging into, to, you know, if somebody wants to interact with, with you know, Terraform, like, it's like, how do you, what does that look like if that's the point of interaction? So in our view, you know, Abstra, uh, you know, in many ways becomes a, a hub of interaction, right? Mm. You know, people are going to interact, their workflows will, will originate um, in lots of different places, depending on what the trigger is, what's the context in which that trigger was received, um, you know, where does the action have to take place? Um, uh, you know, Abstra, as you'd expect, I mean, if we've got, you know, if we're uh, programmable southbound, we're, you know, and we can use essentially APIs to talk to everything. Same thing is true, mm -hmm. you know, northbound, we can integrate into other stuff. I mean, this is just, at this point, that's just modern architecture. I think it is. Uh, I, I would but hope I, that. I would like to think that people who are listening here would start to think of tools like Abstra as a framework that I can leverage. So instead of you, you know, defining yeah. everything about a configuration of an eVPN you know, VLAN and the routing and blah, blah, blah. It's a lot easier to just say to abstract, do this for me. And then it goes off and, and to use it as a tool in its own right. And maybe, you know, find a way to write scripts that then say, I want to integrate this into chat ops, or I want to integrate it into service now or whatever it is that's further up because uh, you're much more likely to get a pay rise. Uh, if you could integrate your service now, help desk chat ops, than you are, if you can say to the boss, I configured an eVPN it took me two years to write a Python Ansible script for it. And that's really what I think day two is about, is getting away from finger defined and moving into, you know, what what catches your boss's eye as some sort of career changing experience for the boss. Yeah. And I think, I, I do think a lot of the, um, taking a page from what Mist did, right? What, what Mist did, we have a, a great case where they are a great, um, I guess, you know, story that we, we tell here. Um, they took the, the tier one trouble tickets from a major SaaS provider down literally to zero mm -hmm. tier one trouble tickets in you know, over like a you know, quarter or two quarter, whatever the, the, the measured time period was. You know, the idea that you'd ever get that down to zero for even a moment is, is like crazy. Mm. But that's what's possible if you start to, to programmatically go after mm. um, some of the root cause bits. Data center actually is, ought to be something that's similar, right? The environments, um, you know, you might have exotic application behaviors. There's all kinds of dependencies, but as you talked about, it's actually well defined. It's fairly yeah. contained. It all sits in one room. Yeah, you know, a, a racks in a colo or a data center building or a closet. You know, whatever it is, it's a contained problem space. It's not like some problem spaces like remote work, which is a whole other bag of bag of. So if you can take that and, and, and then start, you know, essentially driving to really concrete, you know, here's the, again, here's the root cause. I mean, like that's something that's tangible. You know, you mentioned the AI bit before you asked if people want AI or want, you know, they want the outcome fundamentally, but like the, what, they, what we've got to do is make it like, like something that's concrete, specific, you can try it. It's somewhat tangible. Like here's the thing. And you mentioned like the substantiation. I mean, we've got to be able to substantiate even some of the vendor claims, by the way, to say like, here's the, yeah. Here's the value you got out of it, and I, and I so I do think that's achievable. I think that's where things are going. I think I think Mist has sort of proved itself in that space, but I do hear what you're. I think what you're saying there is, customers don't contact you and say, "I need some AI in my network. What can I have?" They exactly they ask for you know I need some automated operations, and you say I can solve that with AI ops, and everybody goes like, "Oh, really? More of this stuff?" You know. So you then you have to prove <laughs> that it's actually possible. 
I think we're running out of time here today, Mike, and I, I think we have to start to bring it together. I know we go back a long way and I've actually seen these technology cycles with you. You've been uh, very helpful in giving me insights into the vendor problem space and just how difficult it is to move the needle. But I think one of the things that I've taken away here is that we are actually in not not a punctuated situation where the technology just changes once, like the transition from one gig to 10 gig was just done, right? This is much more of an evolution than perhaps I'd had in the back of my mind. Is that reasonable? Yeah, I think fundamentally there's, um, again, there's there's you know, three, four, five different paths that we can go. Um, so the differences that you see now, if you were to, to extend those out over the next you know, two, three, five years, what I think is going to happen is that you're going to have wildly different outcomes. Um, and so this, so it's not just that it's evolving, it's that I think the stakes actually get higher as we get further on. So it's a, it's an exciting time. There will be winners, there will be losers as mm. we work through the transitions. Um, and so I would just, I would say that the, the implications of that shouldn't be lost on anybody. Well, thanks very much for joining us today, Mike. Where can people find more about you on the internet? Have you got Twitter, LinkedIn, anything like that? Are you harassable? I am harassable. Uh, LinkedIn's pretty easy to find me. Just look me up. Twitter, though, um, mbushong uh, is my Twitter handle, and I'm, I'm fairly active there. Well, thanks very much to Mike for joining us today and to Juniper for sponsoring today's show. And particularly, we were talking about Juniper's data center product portfolio with Mike Bichong. As always, you can find this and many more fine free technical podcasts on our website at packetpushes.net. And thanks very much to Juniper for sponsoring us. Because of them, we're able to keep doing this every day. And we will be back in 2022. I think this goes out as nearly our final episode for 2021. And it's been a hell of a ride, but I wanted to hope that today's been able to sort of demonstrate a little bit of a, a review of how intent and modeling has sort of taken us forward into 2022. And it's sort of an ongoing thing. It's, it's more of a, of, of a river of consciousness, I think, is perhaps my takeaway for today. And as always, you can follow us on social media. Twitter is at Packet Pushes. We're on LinkedIn. Like us on Facebook and rate us on your favorite podcatcher because it really, really does help. Last but never ever least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.